According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. So we're looking at uh, verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14. And we're going to handle these, I guess, verse 10 by itself, verses 11 and 12 as a pair, verses 13 and 14 as a pair is kind of how uh, I've outlined it anyway. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside distractions, asking to, uh, to bless our time of His study today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the blessings that we have to assemble together. And we call upon your faithfulness, Father, that the Word of God will not be impaired or limited in any way, that nothing unbiblical or wrong would be taught, Father. Um, set aside distractions, take hold of our thinking, uh, overcome human limitations, Father, on the part of the speaker or on the part of the hearers. And Father, uh, manifest your faithfulness in all things, Father, we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, through point six, takes us down through the end of point of uh, verse nine. You remember we dealt with that at some length, the triplet of verses, verse seven, verse eight, verse nine, and handled that under all the subpoints A through F. And we essentially took two points per verse to handle each of the uh, poetic halves of those verses. Then moved on to point nine. Personal suffering is personal, as we see here. So uh, the heart knows its own bitterness. That's verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. And so there's things that you know, that I know, in the, in the core of our being. That's what the, the heart is. In the Greek, it's cardia. In the Hebrew, it's lev, L-E-B, uh, or L-E-V, depending on how you want to transliterate it. But lev, or lavav, is the word for heart. And it's the innermost being. It's the core of who you are. I like the term core, because core speaks of the, the innermost. And, uh, and heart is too touchy-feely in our, in our generation. So uh, we're not talking about the emotions, we're talking about the core of our being. And uh, the heart knows its own bitterness. Uh, and, and only the heart, and only God can look upon the heart. That's key. Other humans cannot get inside our soul. And uh, fallen angels cannot get inside our soul. Satan cannot read your mind. That is a blessing from God. And uh, now he can watch, and he can listen, he can eavesdrop, he can spy on you, he can have agents following you around, that's why you want to be armored up, and you want to be uh, uh, in fellowship as much as possible, um, but he cannot read your mind, and that's, uh, that's an important principle. Other humans can't get inside our soul, but God knows our thoughts and our intents. And so... Um, I believe we got through, 
Did we look at all those last week? I believe we got through all those last week. Um, obviously, 1 Samuel 16, 7 is uh, the point where Samuel is going to Bethlehem and he's all impressed with David's firstborn son and then his second son and his third son finally gets down to that last boy and David's the one that's selected to be king. And in the process of teaching that, the Lord makes clear to Samuel that he doesn't look as man looks, uh, he looks upon the heart. 1 Kings 8.39, I don't recall offhand, 1 Kings 8.39 First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Anybody remember this from last week? All right. Sticky pages. And so here is, oh, here we go. Dedication of the temple Solomon is building and and he talks about the blessings of being able to pray towards this temple. Uh, it says uh, in verse 38, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hand toward this house. See, the, the, the afflictions that we're dealing with, the things that go to the core of our being, we can share those with God and we're supposed to share those with God. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to our fathers. And so that's the privilege. The fact that God looks upon our heart, that we share that in prayer, it's a, the, the, the innermost part of our being is laid bare before Him, and we like it like that. We offer that to Him in prayer. And uh, we're not lying to Him or trying to put on a show or, or uh, act like we don't have the problems we have. God knows we have them anyway, so let's, let's worship in these things and pray about these things and uh, see how He provides. And of course, Jeremiah 17, 9 the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The rhetorical question, who can know it? Well, nobody except God and us. God does know our thoughts and our intents. Proverbs fifteen eleven, Psalm 44, 21, and Revelation 2, 23. Proverbs 15, 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of man. God knows all of it. Psalm 44, 21. We did look at these last week, right? Okay, so I don't mind going quickly and just refreshing so we can advance and gain new ground this morning. Psalm 44, 21. Verse 20, if we had um, forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But for your sake we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. All right, so God, uh, no, we cannot hide from God. He knows what we're doing, even before we think we're getting sneaky with it. Revelation 
Revelation 2.23. Talking about the Jezebel woman at Thyatira. I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Alright, so that's the, the principle there. Moving on to verse 11. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Alright, so here's a verse again with two halves, an A part and a B part. The poetry applies as we have house on the one hand, tent on the other hand. We have uh, wicked in the first part, we have upright in the second part, and then we have the opposite outcomes. Destruction and flourishing. <laughs> okay, Can't get more opposite than that And uh, as we deal with it. The um, future destiny should motivate present diligence. And I think as we combine these two verses, uh, verse 11 is stressing the, the future, the, the futuricity of it here what is on the way, but then the um, when we look at verse 12 we see that it pulls back and it's applying to the here and now. So how then shall we now live, as it were? Verse 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And so when you see the outcome of these things, when you see what is the end of this way of life, what is the end of that way of life, then you're left with the application uh, which of those paths do I want to put myself on today? What is the application today? So future destiny should motivate present diligence. And this is why I love eschatology. This is why I love to remind one another that today could be the day the trumpet sounds, that we want to be mindful of future destiny. We want to be mindful of the plan of God. It's uh, to me, it's it's tragic when I encounter the the uh, anti-eschatological uh, bigots, if if you, if you will. Uh, if you encounter those folks, they don't like prophecy. They despise prophecy, and they they tell you, "Well, your church focuses on prophecy too much. We wanna we wanna just love one another. We wanna we wanna have a practical a practical uh, doctrine that just equips us in how to be good people." And are you kidding me? I think eschatology does that in spades. I think that the 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 uh, emphasis on our destiny in Christ and what we can anticipate, we have warning passage after warning passage after warning passage. Quite a few I put on this slide right now that uh, will will stress for us the fact that if you are maladjusted eschatologically speaking, that does more harm. That actually will hinder your present walk. If you are maladjusted on your eschatology, you start to think that, well, I've got plenty of time. Or, well, you know, yeah, that's down the road. And, and then you start to, to have that human procrastination working against you, and you, think, and you lose the sense of urgency. So I think the principle stands that future destiny should motivate present diligence. And we taught this way back in chapter 3. This was taught as, a, as an application uh, for parents to be grounding in their children. And you've got to get this sense grounded early. <laughs> it's hard. Let me tell you, children are the last people in the world that, uh, that are suited to be thinking long term. Okay? 
Because to a child, long term is, you know, day after tomorrow. <laughs> That's forever. How long is this going to take? You know, you start talking about something a year from now, something four years from now, you know, or something that happened three years ago, that might as well be the Roman Empire as far as they're concerned. That was, that's just ancient history if it was that long ago. But what does Proverbs 3 do? Proverbs 3, I think, emphasizes this and, and uh, instills it. So verses 33 through 35, if you remember, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs, what is that? That's outcome. That's final destiny. That's, the, the, uh, that's where these things are going. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. Again, that's final outcome. That's, that's where these things are going. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. You have both future inheritance and present display right there in the same verse. And so it's useful to think in these terms, and it's useful to to lay them out there for our consideration. We should have a present diligence, and that present diligence can be motivated in large part by future destiny. On into the New Testament, several examples of this. And, and the New Testament, the body of Christ, is maybe the best uh, stewardship ever to be uh, eternally focused because we are a heavenly position. We are in Christ. We are baptized into union with the eternal Son of God. And so uh, as far as that goes, I don't want to leave the impression that an Old Testament saint can't have an eternal perspective. Clearly they can. Job did and David did and and plenty of Old Testament believers did. Uh, They can talk from everlasting to everlasting. You are are God. And and they had a framework for that. But I I believe the church age though is unique because we are uh, a heavenly people. We are a new creation. We are uh, already something different that an Old Testament believer could never claim. And, and to be baptized into personal union with the eternal Son of God is, uh, is a unique blessing for our stewardship. So in a way, in, in dimensions beyond anything they could have dreamed of, we have this. And so um, in Ephesians chapter 3 then, um, I think we'll see some of these principles headed for ultimately the, the end of the chapter in verses 20 and 21. But even even prior to that, notice this is new. This is new. Um, Starting in verse 8, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's what we have. We have it now, the unfathomable riches in Christ. And yet, what we have is just a deposit it's only a, an appetizer. It's just a taste of what's coming. And so if what we have now is unfathomable, then what we are going to see in the millennial kingdom is going to be more unfathomable. And what we're going to see in the fullness of time is going to be more and more unfathomable, right? And so I've even prepared this for the Houston paper. I call it the unfathomable 
the unfathomabler and the unfathomablest blessings, the riches of our glory in Christ Jesus. And uh, it may not be technically Webster English, but it's going to communicate, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing how that happens. So, uh, not only to bring to light the, these unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. That's our stewardship. That's our economy right there. If you're a dispensational believer, that verse should be a big deal. And this is what we have. You and I live in what was called either the church age or the dispensation of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. Angels have been watching ever since there have been people to watch, right? Angels have been watching, they had their stewardship, and then they had their stewardship removed, and now uh, in, in, uh, they're locked into their either elect status or fallen status, and they're watching humanity. They've been watching humanity since Adam and Eve. So they've been watching the Gentiles, they've been watching the Jews, <coughs> they've been watching these stewardship uh, stewardships unfold. Until now, they're seeing something they've never seen before. Because the stewardship of the mystery was withheld, it was hidden. Now it's being unveiled. And now the angels are watching with an extra eagerness, more than ever before. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is what they're watching now. And you'll note, in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we are an eternal people and we should be focused on the eternal purpose. This is what the Father is centered on. This is what the Bride of Christ should be centered on. All right. And it's going to go on beyond the church age too, by the way. It's going to um, transpire to the ages of the ages. So verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Do we know our place? Do we know where we fit within the Father's uh, design? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Not what you've earned, not what you've deserved, but baptized in union with Christ. Christ is the heir of all things. And all that glory the Father's design has been to magnify the Son. And that's what he's going to grant us in Christ. According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Look at that. Dimensions of truth, dimensions of grace, dimensions of glory. Dimensions that are ours in Christ according to his riches and glory. No Old Testament believer has a framework to, to embrace the length and width and height and depth such as uh, is available for us and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God 
And so there is a destiny. There is a future destiny. And a future destiny that is still in progress so long as the church age is still in progress. A future destiny that must await the fullness of times. As we see it here, it's fullness. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. That's not going to happen in the church age. That's waiting for the fullness, the fullness of times. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. All right, so given that that's our future destiny, what are we praying for here and now? Well, he's going to work abundantly. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, notice, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The church age is only step one. This is just the introductory act. This whole life is just the introductory act. Even as Jesus Christ, his first advent ministry, his first advent incarnation, all of that was to prepare him and suit him for what follows. He's now seated at the Father's right hand, uh, having been equipped to be a merciful and faithful high priest. He's now operating as the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's now operating as the head of the church. And, and now we're being prepared. We're being suited. We're being prepared so that we can reign with him, so that we can fulfill what happens here in the fullness of times. All right, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Now, um, if you want one more little preview on that, you'll spot it at the end of chapter one. The um, blessings of us in the church, you'll notice in 1, 22 and 23, Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. <coughs> I guess we could even... Grab verse 21 as well. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, okay? Church age is an amazing age, but not only in this age, but also, what does it say? In the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And, now how do you add to all things? <laughs> I mean, is all things not all things? Yes, all things is all things. And then you create more. You create something new. You bring about something that is, uh, is not in the original all things because it's just now being brought about. And gave him his head over all things to the church. Head over all things to the church. Well, when's that going to happen? Does that happen now? Notice, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when we get to the fullness of time, we've got to understand what is the fullness? It's the bride. And, and Jesus is the filler. We are the fullness of him who fills, of him who fills all in all. Anyway, fun stuff to look forward to because that's not church age. He can't, even, he can't even start to fill us yet because we're not, we're not all here. We're not all born yet. Not all the bride is complete yet. There's, there's some bride that's not saved yet. Okay? And so not until he brings his bride, not until the fullness of times will he then, will the filler begin his filling. 
And that's, uh, that's some fun things to think about. Still in Ephesians, how about over to chapter 4? And so we, we close chapter 3 with this great view of future destiny. What then does that motivate? Chapter 4. In a practical expression of how do we live now? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And hopefully if you digest everything there is there in the first three chapters of Ephesians, it just, it's overwhelming the eternal destiny that the bride has, the positional truth that we have in Christ. And so that's a, that's a monster therefore at the beginning of chapter 4. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. You know, we're going to be bride forever. We're going to be with one another in the, for a thousand generations of the new earth and then forever and ever in eternity future beyond that. Um, we probably ought to start getting along better today. <laughs> right here, right now. You know, how do I harbor mental attitude sin against a brother or against a sister and, and all these things? That's, that's not what we're suited for. That's not worthy of the calling with which we've been called. So uh, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so we get this. We get this exhortation. It's an, it's an exhortation for present diligence that's uh, motivated by, what's motivating that? Our future destiny. The recognition of what we are designed for, what we are being molded to, and what we are being prepared for. Alright, it's not only Paul that takes this approach. Peter takes this approach. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And then Second Peter 3, 11. Second Peter chapter 1. The, uh, there's a long context in those first nine verses that leads up to a therefore in verse 10. <coughs> and I love this chapter because um, this has the uh, sufficiency of Scripture so plain, so spelled out. Verse 3 says, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. If you think you have to supplement the Word of God with something from the, the cosmos wisdom or something from the world or something from your human effort, guess again, you are insulting the grace of God that says He's given you everything you need. It doesn't say most things. His divine power has granted to us a lot of things, many things. No, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Some struggle with your life and godliness. You can't blame God for letting you down. He's given you everything you need. 
everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It comes about in the scriptures. It comes about in the word of God. As the word of God reveals everything there is about Jesus Christ, then we have everything we need for life and godliness. We don't have to supplement the Bible with tradition or, or uh, earthly wisdom or other things. And so uh, all of this. Now we have diligence. Verse 5 talks about diligence. For this very reason, applying all diligence. And so we have a chain of verses here where we are diligent presently. And that present diligence is motivated by where we're headed. And so uh, supplying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. A great message Sunday night on godliness. And I appreciated that. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, don't ever get the content, you know, that carnal humanity good enough crutch that says, well, that's good enough. I'm content. No. Keep increasing. Keep increasing. Whatever you've done, that's great. Excel still more. If they are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be useless and unfruitful? (laughs) No. Then keep increasing. Keep diligent. For he who lacks these is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And that's what happens. We get uh, lazy. We get to that point. And I think it's just... uh, uh, I don't know. Some Christians have been saved too long. And uh, what do I mean by that? I mean that they've forgotten. They've forgotten that, you know, they got saved back in the day. And they just start to drift. And they just start to, you know, grow content with themselves. That, uh, yeah, they're, they're okay. They're good people. They've, they've, they've grown. They've, they've done some things. They've, they've laid up some treasure in heaven. That's enough. And now they're just kind of retired on, uh, you know, retired uh, Christians just waiting to go to heaven when they can reap all the rewards. And they're certainly not laying up anything lately. And um, they're just kind of coasting, if you will. And uh, it's sad. So uh, Peter calls those kind of folks blind or short-sighted, having forgotten purification from former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. So they were already told to be diligent, but now with the risk of of, um, drifting, Peter says, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Okay? We're going to talk about what does it mean in Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to talk about how do we exhibit our our position in Christ tangibly to ourselves, to others, to the angels that are watching. How do we uh, how do we do this? What is our certainty about His calling and choosing you? For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. 
For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Man, there's a lot of preaching that can go into a verse like that. <laughs> okay? You know, how do you want to enter into, into the kingdom? Uh, on an abundant basis? Or just scraping by with uh, the bare minimum? Uh, I mean, this, this uh, however else, whatever else you want to say about this verse, there is an entrance and then there is an abundant entrance. In this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. No one's going to be denied eternity. You can't lose your salvation. Right? We get that. But you can walk in buck naked. Whereas you yourself are saved, yet so is through fire. You have your resurrection body and what else beyond that? Okay? That's, that's the judgment seat of Christ passed in 1 Corinthians 13. Where there is nothing that remains. The fire hits the quality of the work and everything, the totality of it is wood, hand, stubble. There is nothing left over but just the, the spiritual heavenly ashes of what got burned up a moment ago at the judgment seat of Christ. Yet he himself shall be saved yet so as through fire. You can't lose your salvation, but that's a pretty humble entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's, uh, you know, you talk about walking in through a through a side door somewhere, or, you know, as opposed to walking in the main entrance with the gates flooded wide open with, you know, trains of reward coming with you. The entrance will be abundantly supplied to you. So uh, that future destiny should motivate present diligence. Then... Um, Yeah, we can let that go. And the rest of this, he says, uh, uh, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So as long as we're still here, let's maintain this diligence. And then chapter 3 and verse 11 Verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Remember, the day of the Lord encompasses uh, tribulation, Armageddon, millennium, and destruction of the heavens and the earth. That's the whole parameter of the day of the Lord. It's over a thousand years long. It's a thousand and seven years plus a few days in Daniel 12, all right? That's called the day of the Lord. That's why the millennium is only a thousand years long. It's because it is the, it is the portion of the day of the Lord then that Jesus rules this uh, uh, fallen nations on this fallen earth. And so uh, it's coming. The day of the Lord will come. And uh, this, this wrath is on the way. Elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Look, there is a future destruction. 
And that's the God we serve. <laughs> okay? Now, some people why, just ignore that. Some people blow it off and say, yeah, but you know, um, I'm not destined for wrath. I'm not destined for wrath, so I don't care. Well, this verse says you're supposed to care. This verse says, what sort of people ought you to be? Peter is writing to church-age believers, just like, you know, you who say you don't care. So start caring. This verse is written to you. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. Okay, I get it. You're not destined for wrath. I get it. But you still serve that God, that God who holds his children accountable. And no, that's not your judgment. Your judgment comes prior to that. Your judgment is more severe than that. Judgment begins at the house of God. And so you're not slated for the wrath of, uh, for, the, for that kind of wrath, but you have the stricter judgment as his child. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Are you looking for it? Are you hastening it? How do you how do you speed God up? Right? How do you speed children up? How do you speed your wife up? How do you speed your church members up? How do you speed, I mean, when it's when it's time to go and folks aren't ready yet, how do you uh how do you speed them up? Okay? This is all rhetorical, of course. But how do you speed God up? I mean, isn't it going to happen when his decree said it's going to happen? How do we, can we accelerate that? Did God in his plan create, is it only one day carved in stone, or does God have uh, contingency dates, right? We, we studied this when it comes to our, our lifespan. That uh, we have X number of days, but we also have Y number of days and Z number of days. And God in His divine decrees has programmed all of those in His plan. And so uh, what is is D-Day here for destruction of the heavens and the earth? Is it one day and only one day and locked into uh, the plan of God? Or does He have uh, flexibility based on permissive will, based upon contingencies, as, as he interacts with his volitional beings. Something to think about. Because the scripture tells us we should be looking for it and we should be hastening it. Hastening the coming day of God. So how can we hurry this up? <laughs> how can we hurry up? How can we get the church age over with quicker than, than well, let's start getting people saved. How about that? Let's start evangelizing all creation. Let's get this bride finished. Because if we get the the bride finished, the last person to be saved is going to finish the bride. And then the trumpet sounds and we get to be raptured. And let's move on to the tribulation. That would hasten things, don't you think? At least, as far as I'm concerned, let's get it done today. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning the elements will melt with intense heat. But, according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
See, we don't just want to destroy everything. We want to get to the other side. We, we want to come through to the, to the new creation and the glory there because we're already the new creation. We're, we're just waiting for our realm to, to be brought into existence. How fun is that? So, more diligence. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. That future destiny motivates present diligence. And we have the principle there. All right, how about verse, verses 13 and 14? Back to Proverbs. <clears throat> Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain. And the end of joy may be grief. Verse 14, the backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. So here's a tandem of verses. Verse 13 and verse 14. The uh, emotions can hide a lot of things. You can fake it. Um, People might think you're just the happiest guy in the world because you're laughing all the time and joking around and always seem to be in a good mood. And people don't have any clue that all of that is just a disguise. All of that is just a mask. That you're the most miserable person they've ever met. And uh, you, use the, you use the laughter, you use the, the uh, external personality to, to hide how miserable your soul truly is. Yeah, the end of joy may be grief. And so we got some principles here too. I think it's uh, curious to me. Emotions may be misleading, but true satisfaction comes by staying in God's will. Emotions may be misleading, but true satisfaction comes by staying in God's will. You don't want to join the backsliders there. You don't want to join the backsliders. You know, it reaches a point where um, I think the person that's just been faking it, faking it, faking it, he finally just gives up and says, you know, it's not worth it. And so he does, he stops even pretending and he stops the show and he just becomes a backslider. Okay, just decides, you know what, it's not worth it. And so he walks away from the Lord, he walks away from the Word of God. He uh, becomes this uh, backslider in heart, as it's described. Just starts to fill up his own ways. How sad. But the good man will be satisfied with his. There's the true satisfaction there. And we appreciate that. Really, this is kind of a neat little uh, preview, if you will. This gives us a little snapshot for what Solomon will explore at much greater length over in uh, Ecclesiastes. The whole idea of, uh, of this, of, of an external show, the whole idea of backsliding, all of these things. What happens when, um, when uh, you, you abandon the Word of God and just start to proceed forward on a human viewpoint basis. When you just start to uh, approach life based on your earthly wisdom, based upon what you've seen, 
and so forth. And so I, I, like, I included Ecclesiastes 2, Ecclesiastes 7, Ecclesiastes 11, uh, just a, a trinity of, of passages from Ecclesiastes that, that expand uh, what this, this hypocritical backsliding uh, is describing here in Proverbs 14. So let's take a look at it. Ecclesiastes. The um, interesting thing about Ecclesiastes, and who knows, when we finish Proverbs, maybe we'll just keep on going and uh, cross over into Ecclesiastes and deal with it. It's, it's in the Scriptures. It's in God-breathed and inspired. It's profitable even though there's a lot of the verses we just don't like, right? There's a lot of darkness. And, 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 I, and I think that's, I mean, clearly it's, intelli- it's uh, by design. The Holy Spirit knew what he was doing when he put that in the Bible. Uh, allowing, uh, in, in a, in only, as only God can, accurately recording what the carnal mind would produce. And putting it out there for us so that we can read it, we can see the misery for what it is, we can digest that uh, in, in our Bible study, we can digest that in, uh, in uh, humility before the Word of God so that you and I don't have to replicate it. We don't have to live our own personal Ecclesiastes life. Solomon did that for us, <laughs> right? So we can watch his Ecclesiastes life and learn from that negative example in any event what do we have here the um, we'll start with chapter 2 and kind of let chapter 1 go for this morning but um, we, we know the theme right it's just an empty life vanity of vanity is all is vanity and and here's a believer who's who's just um, not approaching things with with divine viewpoint. So verse 1 of chapter 2, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. You know, how many parties can you go to? How much fun can you have? How do you keep the pleasure going? And when 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 you experience the pleasure, then what? (laughs) Okay? What's the point of that? I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? And so all of these things, and if you're going to substitute emotions or emotional happiness for true spirituality, that's a, that's a terrible road to, to, to take. Because that's just, uh, how do you keep constantly feeding that? How do you keep stoking those emotions? I think uh, in, in some cases, I've never been wrapped up in it, but I've seen brothers and sisters that, that get all absorbed in, in, in some of these kind of pep rally organizations, promise keepers, or, or and I don't want to pick on one group, but uh, they just get jazzed. Pentecostals trying to keep jazzed up in their, in their spirituality and all this stuff. And I just, I get tired watching them. And they, they got to get tired themselves trying to keep Trying to keep the pep rally going. Okay? And it's like any, anything that's sensual, anything that you taste or, or experience, 
okay, that was fun, but now it's over. So do I have to go get another one? Do I have to go get another one? Do I, how do I keep this going? Okay. Anyway, and so it's, uh, it's expressed there. Um, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. <laughs> so, yeah, prof- prophesying under the influence. How does that work? Um, how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. You know, how sad is that? How transient is life? How short is life? You know, you've only got a few years. Life is short, play hard, right? That's like a Nike commercial. It is a Nike, it was a Nike commercial. Life is short, play hard. You only have, you know, just a limited amount of time to have all the fun you can squeeze into that little amount of time. And you better do it now because, you know, you got some years coming up where you're going to be a little slow to do some of that stuff. So do as much as you can now, okay? Anyway. Um, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And this is the point. Solomon did this so we don't have to. None of us are going to have the kind of money he had to be able to do every single thing he possibly did. The point is, he's the pinnacle here on this so that we get the point that we can't, um, apart from the Word of God, apart from the plan of God, we have no true satisfaction. I bought, uh, I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds long, uh, larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. So is that the answer? Just satisfy with anything you want goes? I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. So when your heart is misdirected, when you have turned all of these earthly pleasures to the, to the uh, idolatry that you've turned them into, where Philippians says their God was their belly, okay, that's what Solomon's doing here. His pleasure becomes his idol. And he fed it, fed it like a beast. And uh, at the end of the day, what does it say? Okay, that's your reward. That's your reward. This was my reward for all my labor. All he got was the satisfaction he was trying to get, and then it went away. But that was his reward. It's like when Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. When you're doing your thing to be observed by men, you're boasting and, and you're all this, and 
Jesus said, you have your reward in full. So thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. Behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. (laughs) All right, so that's chapter 2. I went far beyond verses 1 and 2, didn't I? How about over to uh, chapter 7? Now, uh, so you go from uh, one extreme to another extreme. So that didn't work. Hedonism didn't work. Uh, let's, let's go to the opposite extreme. Let's now try uh, a philosophy of, uh, let's, let's go the more dour route. Let's be more somber. Let's, uh, let's just become uh, a gloomy pessimist. <laughs> All right. A good name is better than good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. So um, he reaches a point where funerals are more enjoyable than birthday parties. (laughs) You know, he reaches a point now. So he'd been convincing everyone of all the fun he's been having and that's not fun anymore. So now let's just go swing the pendulum the other direction. And everything is all gloomy. Um, sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Ah, so now, yeah, let's go to the stoic route. Let's, uh, maybe, maybe then... Um, you know, instead of the phony rah-rah happiness that's all a lie anyway, now let's just have a steady, quiet, somber uh, seriousness about life. And then maybe that can mask a deeper happiness. Okay? At least, at least then I'll be stable and I'll be... Um, the, the Stoics would convince everybody that, that nothing rocked them. That they were just... You know, they were just like the rock of Gibraltar. They were stable, they were steady. They could, uh, they could be inwardly happy because they never showed anybody any outward happiness. <laughs> so, sorrow is better than laughter. When a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Yeah, all those Epicureans and all those, uh, they, they were the two dominant philosophies in ancient Rome and um, they were pretty much uh, scornful of the other. And so, much of fools over there in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of the thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. You know, he's so critical of this crowd, but that was him back in chapter (laughs) 2. Right? But now it's really swung the opposite direction. And now anyone that's still striving after what he was trying to do back in chapter 2, now he's just pointing at them and showing how useless they are. All right. And so... uh, 
we have that there. Chapter 11. Verses 9 and 10. All right. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Now you start to wonder, well, how miserable is he? (laughs) And uh, what kind of regrets is he looking back? You know. And, and where did he finally cross the line? You know, was it the 995th wife? Was it, you know, was it, you're closing in on a thousand, do you really think the next, you know, the final three that crosses over a thousand women? I mean, when, when do you finally, I don't know, rejoice young man during your childhood, let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood, follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes, Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Go ahead and have the fun you want to have, but there'll be a price to pay. And when you're older, you'll be paying that price. So, you know, have fun now. God will bring you into judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart. Put away pain from your body. Because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Have as much fun as you can when you can, because before you know it, you'll be too old to have that kind of fun. So, <laughs> so get it now, and uh, and then pay the price later, and come join me in my misery. All right. Well, how sad is that? Pathetic. Anyway, back to Proverbs. The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. Don't abandon the word of God for human viewpoint. That is a that is a tragic way to live. All right, next week we'll come back and we'll look at verses 15 and following. The naive believes everything. Do you believe that? What are you, naive? All right. But the sense of a man considers his steps. And so practical benefit again here too when you're grounded in the word of God when you're stable before the Lord um, there's a stability there and you don't just swallow what the world's dishing up thank you Father for this morning, thank you for your truth thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for sustaining my voice to get through the the hour and uh, keeping the migraine away, Father you are uh, just so faithful in, uh, in all that you do We give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.